Good morning. What a privilege it is for us to gather on this Lord's Day. Every Sunday that we gather, we gather informed by the resurrection. It's the very basis for why we even meet on Sunday. And then our ability to rightly worship God is only in light of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it is neat, as the, as the calendar reminds us, to, to think carefully upon the resurrection on this particular Sunday, but every Sunday is informed by the resurrection. So we're going to actually talk a little bit about that, both in, well, in our time now in Sunday school. We're going to sing about it uh, in the next service, and we're going to hear more about the resurrection as well as, as the word is proclaimed um, through the preaching of God's word. So a lot to think about in regards to, to the resurrection. Um, our Redeemer lives, so we delight in that truth. Let me pray, and then we will begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. We gather as a body of believers, um, united to Christ, trusting in Christ alone for salvation, delighting in the fact that Christ is seated at your right hand, interceding on our behalf because we worship a risen Savior. And so I pray that as we think upon those truths, um, as we walk through these scriptures, as we sing, as we pray, as we sit under the reading of God's word, as we sit under the preaching of God's word, um, may it, it strengthen our faith, may it glorify you, and may we leave here better worshipers of you, desiring um, to make much of you uh, as we go from here and serve you all our days. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so what you have in front of you, there's a handout. It says, the resurrection according to the disciples. Really, what I, I want to do is just walk through the Gospels not looking at everything that we could look at, but just to kind of observe the transformation that takes place in the minds and hearts of, of the disciples. Because towards the end of our study, we're going to be in Acts, and we're going to observe bold gospel preaching that is informed by the resurrection. But it's interesting to take note that this was not you know, immediately grasped by the disciples. And we're, we're going to walk through how, how Jesus taught on this on a variety of occasions in clear ways. And yet, uh, when, when Christ dies, you, you see almost initial hopelessness, fear, um, denial by these disciples, the death of Christ, and then at the resurrection of Christ, once they are made aware, um, and then they see the risen Savior, how it transforms the disciples into these bold preachers proclaiming the resurrection. And so then we'll just walk through, observe that transformation that takes place, and then kind of land at the end thinking through even one of the many arguments for the resurrection in light of just the disciples' transformation. And then let, we can even, if we have time, just kind of interact together on some of the implications then of those who would deny the literal resurrection of, of the physical 
resurrection of, of Christ, um, he died, was buried, and he rose again. So let me just read a couple historical, well, I'll read one historical uh, confession. This is the Nicene Creed. I mean, kind of complicated in a way to give you the exact timeline, really kind of drafted initially in the fourth century, modified, edited, and approved in the fifth century, and then a f- another addition to it in the sixth century. But um, so, so uh, earth early document here. here. Here's what we would read in the Nicene Creed. For us and for our salvation, he, Christ, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, that's a pretty early, in in regards to church history, you know, confession of the resurrection of Christ. But it's not the earliest. In fact, we're going to look, you have it even on your handout. As we are so familiar with 1 Corinthians Corinthians 15, as Paul writes, he's, he's referencing something that would be relatively familiar uh, to them. It seems like what he is referring to would be some sort of confessional reality of, of the resurrection. And, and so as we look at 1 Corinthians 15 in just a moment, we're, we're recognizing that when, when Paul refers to what he delivered to them, which was of first importance, and then he walks through this of first importance gospel reality, he, he speaks to the fact that Christ died, was buried, and he rose on the third day, and then even interacts with various eyewitnesses of that resurrection. So, so the, the church has historically um, understood the resurrection, and they confessed the resurrection. Uh, for us this morning, I mean, we, we find ourselves uh, informed by the resurrection through what we sing I might just quote a couple songs. Some of them we'll sing this morning. Others we sing regularly. Thought it might be fun. Just to, I'll read and you guys tell me what song it is. And I figured to be nice, I'd start with a really easy one. Christ the Lord is risen today. Uh, what song is that? That's good. Yeah. All right, that's it. I thought somebody would go. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Somebody started. Yeah. Uh, we sang that with, at Good News Club this past Thursday, and so the adults would sing the line, and then the kids were supposed to respond with hallelujah. I thought it was going to be really easy, and that they would go well, and I was wrong about the hallelujahs going well, but it was really neat. It's, it's neat to talk to those kids about. These are songs we sing at our church because they're true. Anyway, okay, I'll, I'll read some other lines from certain hymns. These are more recent, in fact. Uh, There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. In Christ alone. alone. Oh, I forgot to say, there's a few. Yes, so silent at this table. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, because it'll be no fun for anyone. Uh, Yeah, no, Jim's right, in Christ alone. Yes, Um, how about... God eternal, humbled to the grave, Jesus, Savior, risen now to reign. It's hard when we're not singing it. We don't pay attention to what we're singing. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, who is that? Yes, behold our God. Correct. This one I think is, 
I, I would say this might be hard. I, we, we were singing this perhaps last week. See the empty tomb today. Death could not contain him. Once the servant of the world, now in victory reigning. Jerusalem. Somebody said, okay, yes, Jerusalem. Yeah, that's, that's a, a we, we've been singing certain songs by a group in Australia. In fact, it's City Alight. That's one of their songs, uh, Jerusalem. Uh, one more. Unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ he lives, Christ he lives. Jim led this at our baptism service. Yes, good. Yeah, Christ our hope in life and death. So, Look forward to more songs that we'll sing this morning, just the, the hope that we have, excuse me, the hope that we have and the, the resurrection. Um, so we sing often about what the scriptures speak to often. So it makes sense that we, we sing about the resurrection. Uh, we gather in light of the resurrection. We sing in light of the resurrection. And, and so we confess these truths because uh, it's according to the scriptures. This is what, this is what we are, are told. So, with that on our minds, let me just read this, this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 and just notice the confidence and hope that, that Paul clearly exudes in, in the realities of the, res, um, of the resurrection. And then let's just kind of start back in, in Jesus' life and ministry with the disciples as he taught on the resurrection. And let's just see how it was initially grasped by those closest to him. So we'll read 1 Corinthians 15. You have it in front of you in the handout. Then for the rest of our time, we're really just going to need to kind of march through many of the the cross references that are here and and will be in all four gospels. So just kind of be ready to uh, turn through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But in 1 Corinthians 15, we read, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So in this statement that speaks to the resurrection as of gospel importance, it's of first importance, he also then speaks to the eyewitness testimony of, of he and others. And, and so you mark, uh, you, you'll notice Peter, James, apostles, uh, the disciples listed here, um, even 500 brothers at one time uh, is what, what we read about in this statement in 1 Corinthians 15. So um, their hope was informed by the resurrection. So starting back early on, let's go back to Mark chapter 8 and just, just watch how there's going to be a transformation that will take place in the life of the disciples in coming to grips with the realities of the resurrection. Certainly after they see the risen Christ, that's when it's most clearly understood. And then the spirit working in and in through them to, to boldly proclaim those truths. But let's walk back through when Jesus starts telling them about the resurrection. And so we'll start in Mark chapter eight. That's weird. 
verses 31 through 22. That's a typo. Um, but uh, 21, let's see here. Um, 31 through 32. Uh, thank you. So really, you could even start back. You know, you, you find right before this passage, Peter has just confessed something very accurate and something very important. And uh, he, he confesses Jesus as the Christ. Uh, when, when Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? You know, that their answers were, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, um, uh, one of the prophets. And so Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter rightly confesses Jesus as the Christ. He says, you are the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So Peter's confessed Christ rightly. So then in verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. So we can even just pause for just one second. You're seeing Jesus teaching the disciples and he's kind of foretelling what is to come. Here are the things that are going to happen. These must happen. So you read of that he must suffer. Uh, he's going to be rejected by these religious leaders, the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. He's going to be killed. And then three days later, he will rise again. And he said this plainly. So then in that plain speech, then you see Peter, who just confessed rightly that Jesus was the Christ. Look at what he says next. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So it is going to be interesting as we walk through several examples of Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection. These are going to be some of the moments where we see the disciples acting most foolishly. You know, so here he, he foretells the resurrection and then Peter says something very foolish and then Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. So then in just a couple um, instances later, you're going to see him once again speak of the resurrection and then you're going to see a distracted and foolish response by, uh, by these sons of Zebedee. But let's, let's keep going here, marching through Mark for a second. So you read those two verses. Uh, he, he speaks plainly about the resurrection and Peter rebukes him for it. You can hear, um, may it never be kind of mindset of Peter, Peter saying, not you, my Lord, you know, you, you know, we're not gonna let you, we're not gonna let that happen. You're not gonna die and rise again. Uh, Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. So the Lord rebukes Peter. Okay, then moving to the next chapter, Mark chapter nine, Verses 9 and 10. So this is just after the transfiguration. So, so who would be with Jesus here in Mark 9? Peter, James, and John. Okay, and in verse 9, you read it. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. So just, you know, you got Peter, James, and John, and Jesus saying, don't tell anyone what just happened until after the resurrection. And so they, they obey uh, by keeping it to themselves, but they're questioning, what is this rising from the dead? Did he read chapter 8? <laughs> apparently, apparently, you know, you ever think, man, I wish I was paying more attention? Yeah, that's right. Uh, good comment, because it really, it, you're going to think that 
in a more frustrated way, even as you continue through these, thinking, where, where were they? What were they thinking? What were they not thinking? And there actually is some clarifying remarks in, in uh, our next verse, actually. Uh, Mark 9, 30 through 32. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. You know, that strikes me, it's interesting because as you walk through like the parables, when you're thinking of those who had ears to hear, the disciples were those. And so Jesus would teach a parable and the, having ears to hear is demonstrated by them saying, hey Jesus, what did that parable mean? You know, it, was like, it wasn't like they understood it right away. They, they understood that they needed to ask Jesus what it meant. You had the Pharisees just turning away in rebellion and anger at, at these uh, offensive parables, but, but the disciples wanted to know more, so they asked clarifying questions. Here, Jesus teaching on something that he has done on two occasions already with the group, and uh, this is really the third time that Peter, James, and John would have heard about this, and they did not understand, and they were afraid to ask. So... They changed the subject, right? Uh, that's when you see this uh, really silly argument and question and uh, not, you know, the best moment in their lives. Verse 33, and they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But, but they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Okay, in this example, though, where, where Mark identifies that they did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask, in the parallel passages in Matthew and in Luke, there, there's added information there. In Matthew, even, it refers to the disciples not only as, you know, confused and afraid to ask, they were greatly distressed. So Jesus talking about the fact that he's going to die and then rise again was an issue of great distress for the disciples. So perhaps that's part of why they would not ask because they don't want to talk about it. You know, there's subjects that we want to avoid and so we don't, you know, ask. And I think that's what the disciples were doing here. Luke is actually very helpful too though because you're going to see in the Luke um, cross-reference to this that this was concealed from them. So verse 32 of Matthew or of Mark saying they did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask. In Luke, it actually refers to the fact that they did not understand because it was concealed from them. So even in God's sovereign purposes, he had, he had concealed this. You know, in my mind, I find myself thinking, well, what was he concealing it for? And I think if you go back to even thinking of Peter, you know, rebuking Jesus, uh, you know, there, if we had perfect knowledge of things, we might act in different ways because we're not omniscient and we don't, and we're not sovereign. And so if we know more than we need to know, we might act in different ways. And perhaps the disciples would have been a, would, would have sought to be a hindrance to God's purposes and plans of, of preventing their savior from being crucified and then rising from the dead. Uh, perhaps that's part of it, but you do see that, that God, in fact, conceals from them 
the, the realities of what Jesus had just taught, that he would be delivered into the hands of men, they'll kill him. When he's killed, after three days, he will rise. Uh, yes. Actually, I think they, they did try to actually thwart that when Peter cut off the high priest's uh, son or servant's ear and, uh, they, they, and then Jesus told him, like, not to do that. You know, like they, they had the, the swords there and, you know, Jesus was like, put, put that away. You know, this is my father's will for me to go to the cross. Yeah, very good. Very good point. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great comment and it definitely matches up with this. So. So here we've seen Jesus foretell the resurrection. On, um, let's look at one more and then pick up the pace here a little. Chapter 10, verses 32. Um, uh, 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up, to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Um, and on goes that story. Pretty similar to second foretelling. Okay, so we, we could look more in, in Luke 24, you know, when he's, this is at post-resurrection, but, but as Jesus is, is talking to them, when he appears to them in, in Luke 24, he, he says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. You know, he's saying, this, this, is, this is what I told you. These are the words that I spoke to you. Um, and he opened their minds, verse 45 says, to understand. And verse 46 says, um, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So Jesus spoke of this often uh, in very clear ways, very literal ways. Uh, John 2, you have a statement that would have been, um, well, you see that how it was uh, not taken seriously, even as John, for Jesus foretells his resurrection. Uh, in verse 18 of chapter 2, the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, Oh, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So you're seeing here, that's a helpful statement in verse 22 that, that John provides for us, that after the fact, as they look back and with greater clarity, they've seen the risen Savior, Christ rose from the dead, and now they look back and think they understand these things that Jesus had taught them that they, they failed to grasp at the time. Okay, so uh, the point being, Jesus had, had prepared them for this. He spoke of it often, and it should have been on their minds. He even spoke plainly at times. And then, granted, there, you also see uh, that there was an occasion where he concealed from them. But he spoke of the resurrection with them as a group, and even a small group of that group of disciples. Okay, so then, they should be prepared for these events. Jesus said over and over, he's going to be handed over to wicked men. He's going to be killed. 
He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again. Um, so when it happens, the response, while overwhelming, they, 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 they could, their response should have been informed by the teaching that Jesus had given. But uh, just that real quickly, you know the, the initial response by the disciples. I mean, if you, if you even just look at that passage in Matthew 26, after, after, um, after he is arrested, he's betrayed, he's arrested, um, all of this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. And so you're just seeing the fear on these disciples as these things that must take place, that Jesus told them would take place. When it takes place, their response is to flee. Um, even uh, you, you, could, you could go to very familiar realities in regards to the life ministry of, of Peter. I think after Jesus has been arrested, he's about to, you know, and then after this, this trial, he's before Caiaphas, this council, and then that's where you read of Peter denying Jesus three times. Uh, Luke 23, it's kind of sad to think that after Christ dies uh, and he is to be buried, you don't find the disciples there at all. In fact, just go to Luke 23, 50 uh, to, to observe who's present at this burial, Luke 23, 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed him and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. So the disciples are missing in action at the burial. They, they fled at the arrest. Uh, Peter denies association with Christ. Uh, and they, they do not attend the, the burial of, of Jesus. Okay, so Jesus foretold the resurrection. Then when, when Jesus is crucified, you see, you don't see this bold confidence in the disciples. You see fear, denial, um, absence here uh, in this. So then things are going, at, Jesus rises from the dead. The resurrection has taken place. And you walk through the gospels on so many occasions to read of um, him appearing to the disciples. So you read it on the handout, even as Paul is writing that, uh, Paul references the fact that one of those individuals that Jesus appeared to was Peter. And so in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Um, I think you're probably still in Luke. So just look down at Luke 24, 34. Again, um, you read... Uh, Let's go back to 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
So, so the testimony of these who, who Jesus appeared to on the road to Emmaus and then, then inform the 11 and, I, and, and note that he had appeared to Peter. Uh, so you have this appearance to Peter, appearance to, to these uh, two who were on this road to Emmaus. Um, you know what? Go back to that chapter 24. Uh, I stopped there. Did I stop at verse 35? They told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Keep going in this uh, setting here. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy uh, and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. So we, we read verse 44 a few moments ago. But in this event, what are some of, not only does Jesus appear to them, what are, what are some of the things that unfold here in this interaction that just speak to the, the physical reality? This is Jesus in the flesh. Jesus has risen from the dead. Eating. 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 Yeah, thank you. Right. So got scars. Yeah, he shows them. So they see the scars, and he's even he's even offered up to them to to touch uh, his his wounds. So so that's Luke twenty four, but uh, in John twenty, uh, we can even add to this with you know when when Thomas enters in here, John we'll just jump to the the John twenty twenty six through twenty eight. So. The Lord has appeared to Peter, these two on the Emmaus road. He's appeared to the disciples. Uh, he, he appeared without Thomas' presence. Then in verse 26, um, now he is there. So eight days later, John 20 says, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to, them, said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so, so again, he appears to Thomas and he, and he has Thomas touch his wounds and this right response from Thomas is worship of this risen Savior. Okay, continuing uh, in Matthew, go to Matthew 28. You, you know, we know the, the Great Commission. But as you think of eyewitness realities of the, resur- um, the risen Savior, Matthew 28, 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Okay, so just for time's sake, we can, we can stop here because we know, you know, at Paul's conversion, when, when um, risen Lord appears to Paul, and, and we, we do well to even look at the ascension in Acts chapter one. But in these appearances, you have Jesus appearing to individuals, like, and then you also have him appearing to groups. This is clarifying because one of the uh, arguments against the resurrection is to say that, well, well, these guys really believed this. They really believed that's what they saw, but they really were just hallucinating. And, and so it's helpful to see here what you know, maybe an individual, when they hallucinate, they might have some vision that is um, informed by something that is not reality. But, you know, when you have a group that all see the same thing and they report on the same thing, it really kind of just argues against and, and um, debunks any sort of hallucination type of argument for, for them thinking, oh, we just thought we saw Christ, but they all have the same experience. They'll have the same testimony of this. Jesus appeared to individuals. Jesus appeared to groups. So the group appearances are um, helpful in recognizing what actually took place. Okay, so Jesus taught on the resurrection, and they avoided the subject. They were uncomfortable with the subject. They didn't understand the subject. Um, Then when it happens, they're panicked. They're scared. They're hiding. Um, And then when you enter in into Acts, you see a transformation that has taken place in the life and ministry of those who have seen the risen Savior. Because you start walking through these, these passages in Acts, you see bold proclamation that is post-resurrection, but it's bold proclamation regarding the resurrection. They understand the significance of the resurrection. So let's just walk through those in, in Acts, starting in Acts chapter 2. Um, Acts 2, 24, Peter preaching, God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. What's significant there, Peter preaching with boldness on the resurrection. Now Peter um, rightly understanding how even Psalm 16 would have spoken to this in a messianic way. You, you see that this, this um, the resurrection realities in that you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not let the Holy One see corruption. So Peter understands the resurrection. Peter proclaims the resurrection in this, this preaching. Continue down, same chapter, a few verses later, verse 32, he says, this Jesus God raised up and of that, we all are witnesses. So earlier, not all that long ago, you see Peter denying Christ. Now he's saying Jesus rose from the dead and we all are witnesses of it. So he's not denying this. Um, 315, chapter three, verse 15. Uh, Let's start in 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Chapter four, 
I mean, this is, this is just continually on the tongue of the disciples in their, their teaching. So Peter and John, you know, this is even beginning to be a source of frustration for the religious leaders. Chapter four, verse one, it says, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So why this constant instruction about the resurrection. It's, it's frustrating these unbelievers, these, uh, these resurrection deniers, these religious leaders. And so they want them silenced. So go down to verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Verse 33, uh, 32 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Uh, Acts 17. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so, so it's on the lips of Paul, proclaiming the gospel, teaching on the resurrection, and these um, philosophers saying he appears to be teaching foreign divinities because he preached on the resurrection. Okay, and so then again, as, as Paul writes the Corinthians, then he says, you know, this isn't just inconsequential. This isn't just, you know, indifference. Now this, this is of first importance. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared uh, to many. So that, that's kind of the, a really neat reality to observe here, what takes place over the Gospels, this transformation in the life of the disciples. And so in fact, it actually serves really as an apologetic for the resurrection because not only were they eyewitnesses of this, they were willing to, to identify, teach, and then die for um, these resurrection truths. And so the fact that they were willing to suffer and die for their belief in the resurrection teaches us much. It teaches us that it was sincere. It was genuine. Um, you know, there, there are occasions where, where even, I mean, I was just watching something about, you know, just the tragedy in, in Waco. I guess it's even like 35 years ago now. But, you know, you have many who died for something they believed, but, uh, but they were deceived um, so many people are willing to die for something that they, they believe to be true. But then when you're thinking somebody like the apostles, they're, they're willing to die for something they knew to be true. They were eyewitnesses. They saw Christ. And so it doesn't add up for them to be teaching something that is a lie. Many will teach something that's a lie, but, but someone's not going to die for this lie. So the fact that they were willing to suffer and die in light of the resurrection speaks to the truthfulness of their claims. 
Uh, so it's really significant to just, just walk through all of that because this wasn't initially on their minds. And then once they saw the risen Christ, they were gospel proclaimers informed by the resurrection, willing to die for that reality. And so if you even think of how, how that plays out in the scriptures in Acts 4, um, Peter and John are imprisoned. And what they're imprisoned for is proclaiming the gospel and the, this resurrection instruction in what they're imprisoned for. Acts 5, more arrests, imprisonment, beatings. Acts 12, uh, James is martyred. Um, John, you know, if you think even in Revelation, you know, he's in, in he's uh, exiled to Patmos uh, for his beliefs, for his teaching. So these guys were willing to suffer and they were willing to die. Um, and, and so there's a lot of a lot, of, a lot of comfort in that even for us that, that we, you know, believe the scriptures because the scriptures are true and there are all sorts of arguments for speaking to the veracity of, of the resurrection. Um, a whole lot more could be said and it seems even abrupt just to kind of end right there. But, uh, but we'll, we'll be singing about it, talking more about it, but what great truth it is to know that our um, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And so our Redeemer lives. And so we worship a risen Savior. May that inform our worship as, as we continue in our time today as a church family. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you and praise you for the gospel. We thank you that you sent your Son to live a perfect life, truly God and truly man who, who, who walked the earth, um, walked amongst us. He he knew no sin, yet he became sin for us as he died as our substitute on the cross. He was buried, and then by your power you rose him. Uh, he was risen from the dead. He's alive, and he's seated at your right hand, and we delight in these truths. Be glorified through our worship as we go from here. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.